This is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerials podcast. I hope you're having a great start to your week. And before we get going here, I wanted to share with you guys that I am currently working on a three-part video series called Aerial Rehab, geared towards aerialists coming back to their practice due to an injury or recovery from surgery. You had a baby, or maybe you just took a big long break during the pandemic. It is geared towards getting you back in the air safely, effectively, and quickly. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, check the show notes. There's a link there. And the mini course by Wrap Your Head Around Silks also there. All right, today we have Mary Carroll. At 57 years old, she started pole. After raising her kids and sending them off to college, she decided to check out pole. And 11 years later, she has many titles from competitions. She has a pole clothing line and a makeup line. And she is just an inspiration. She also went through a hip replacement surgery two years ago, and she joins us today to talk about her experience with that, how she got injured, the recovery process, and her thoughts on her thoughts on her recovery. So let's get started. Here's Mary Carroll. Totally. Um, so Mary, for our audience, um, you have maybe inadvertently become very well known in the pole yeah. industry. <laughs> yeah, inadvertently, probably. I don't think you set no. out. No, to I do didn't. that. Absolutely not. I uh, started to pole when my last of four kids graduated from college, and I kind of like, gee, we don't have to send rental checks and books and this and that. And <laughs> you yeah, have a little money I to had, play honestly, with. I have never done uh, any gym or anything like that because, you know, I was so busy with uh, one is my stepson. He's here right now. He's moving to North Dakota. My husband and he are leaving tomorrow. They've been cleaning up and everything is like, ah, you know, so anyway, it's, it's crazy. But um, I, I just, I, I always felt like my exercise was like out of the washing machine, into the dryer, out, boom, go, 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 go. And, you know, like, oh my God, what's that? It was like all over the place. And so, you know, I did stretch. That's the one thing because I've always been naturally flexible. So stretching was the easy part for me. Well, little did I know that when I ultimately had a problem that I was born with uh, probably a mild hip dysplasia, but I didn't know it. And other flexible dancers and gymnasts like Mary Lou Retton was born with that. She had at age 40, two hip replacements. Um, But what happens is like, you can imagine a tire meant for a Volkswagen, and now you're going to put it into a truck. While that tire is so happy, rolls round and round, has tons of room, and then when it gets into an accident and gets jammed, that's when there is a problem. And that's when, you know, it got jammed, and it was just a little minor incident, probably was like, you know, an accident waiting to happen. And... Um, I never, it was never right from that point on, but it took them two and a half years for somebody to actually 
figure out what was wrong. And they kept even, you know, a half a year before I had the surgery, I'd gone to an orthopedic surgeon and he he didn't bother taking x-rays from UCLA. So they should have known better. Uh, but um, anyway, they, they uh, didn't didn't bother to check to x-ray and I think my husband says well it's probably because they put you on the table and they roll your leg around it's like you know doing all this stuff anyway so they figure that you don't know you know what it what it is Uh, so I just thought I had an injury and I was hell-bent on the summer of uh, 2019 to go to you know any um, fit and bendy and this one and that one and you know try to get healed and finally I went to my internist in August and I said you know if I have some kind of a tear or something I need to know because I want to heal this and if I'm injuring it and she just took one x-ray and she says this is what it is I heard the news I went home I had a pity party and nobody came but (laughs) (laughs) hold on Mary I'm gonna just stop you for a second so Mary ended up having a hip replacement, but I want you to go back if yeah, you can. Yeah, because there's so, a lot of So can you please, stories. yeah, can you please tell our audience, introduce yourself, please tell them when you started pole, okay. how long you've been doing yeah. it, your experience with it, your yeah. everything. I want to hear okay. all of it, and then we're going to talk about the <laughs> I hip replacement. I started 11 years ago, last January at age 57. So if you know oh, how to do amazing. math, you can figure out how old I am now. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing yeah and it was one of those things that you know over the summer prior to that my son who one I have two sons and they're both wrestlers and they love physical fitness but one took me to you know he was a personal trainer and he took me to you know the local gym and I was like bored out of my mind and then all of a sudden this stuff started happening with pole and I was like oh it was so contagious it was like whoa, I have to do this. I had a taste of it. And it's like, mm, I got to keep going. And I couldn't do anything. Uh, I was in awe of my instructor when she climbed the pole or did the simplest things. But I was just in awe of that. And now, of course, that's like very elementary to me, what she was doing that day. But you know, I just started in and I thought, oh, this is fun. And I would go to three classes a day and, you know, I would learn. Yeah. And I would learn like, um, oh, you know, the sexy dance from one of the instructors. We would take it at nine o'clock at night. And then I would learn the tricks and I would learn just about anything I could. Um, But I just loved it. I just, it was like, I don't know. It, It just felt good to me. So I, I did that and I, and then, you know, one thing leads to another. And I remember at one point um, someone saying to me, so when are you going to compete? And I go, well, I'm not going to compete, you know, and, and now I'm like, oh, are they crazy? Why do I compete? And of course I ended up competing and uh, yeah, I have a room full of medals and trophies, which are now in a drawer because we've become wild cat people since um, our poodle died. And uh, the one, you know, <laughs> I call him baby cat. That's his name. Uh, he climbs up and he likes to roam around the metals and I could not replace them, the glass ones. So I put them in a drawer for now till he grows up a little more. <laughs> How many competitions have you done? I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I really don't like know. ballpark. Oh, Oh, that's a that's even a better question. Um, 
I honestly, to give you a good like twenty. No, I don't think I've done twenty. Maybe somewhere between ten and twenty. Oh, okay. I think I'm not sure. Maybe closer to fifteen. Yeah, I have to look at it and see. Yeah, because some years, you know, I would probably do three a year. Um, And some years I would do one or two or, you know, like, um, yeah, actually, I did one last year and I won. (laughs) Oh, my God. Congratulations. I did it in seven inch heels. And it was one of those things that during. Oh, my God. It's amazing. During during the lockdown, you know, I, I, I just the classes that were available kind of subterfuge were heels classes. So I thought the the heel Russian exotic, that kind of stuff. I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do it, you know, but, but, um, and it wasn't easy because it was different from the tricks. So I was training parts of my leg, my, you know, hip replacement leg in a way that had never been trained before. And when, we got out of the lockdown. I said, you know, I had put together this routine in my head and the music and all that. And I said, I really want to perform this. And so I went to Tucson to the USPSF at competition. I did the pole, pole classique. And that's the sexy to celebrate the sexy side of pole. And it was um, a disco medley. And the audience loved it. Uh, yeah, there were four disco songs in it. And afterwards, some of the really, uh, like one of the most um, honored pole dancers throughout the world, she has the most, you know, um, pole titles. Uh, well, no, not that's not quite right. The senior women titles, world titles, said, I love your playlist. Uh, she was just energized by it. So I was planning to do it again uh, for Polar Italy. And then, you know, last November was just not a good time because of all the lockdowns. And then they're rescheduling it for this May and it's still the same thing. And I think it's probably a little worse now with the situation overseas. So I'll just wait. But that's why I haven't really posted a lot of that video. Um, There is a little snippet of it. If you look through my Instagram at Mary Carol Glitter, you can find a little snippet of it. Oh my God. And this is, is yeah. it kind of like an amazing excuse to travel? Uh, yeah, that's a big, yeah. yeah. That's, that, and that's why, you know, when I, I wanted to go at a time when um, the restaurants weren't wary of people and that, you know, yeah. yeah. So yeah, because to me, that's part of the experience, you know, no matter where I place or what happens. Um, the experience of just meeting people and being able to go to restaurants, have a glass of wine and, you know, shop. I love to shop. So, um, yeah, that was part of it. So can I ask you, because Mm -hmm. your story is actually, you know, it's very unique because before 57, yeah, you weren't doing any no. of this. Were you always really secure with your body? No, never. I was, you know, it's funny because growing up, I remember as, as a teenager feeling like, you know, my friends had hips and boobies and I didn't. I was just kind of built like a little boy and, you know, getting those padded bras and, you know, kind of, I just never, you know, felt that I had that uh, wonderful figure that the other girls had, that I looked more like a little boy. And I was always, I always looked a little younger for my age than, you know, ultimately it works good. But at the time, you don't want to look young when the other girls. Oh, me too. I I felt like a child when I was in high school. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I felt I looked a little young and never did 
quite have that curvy shape that they did. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, I, my favorite body part of mine is my legs. Um, I will probably wear short skirts till the day I die and heels because that's my favorite part. But I never liked my tummy and it didn't matter, you know, how thin I got. It just was never my favorite body part. It still is not my favorite body part. So I just kind of learned like it, I love having mirrors in the studio because I think it makes you brings you to reality and it helps you if you if you don't recognize a problem, then you can't solve it. So if you see your body in the mirror and you see, oh, I need to work on my tummy, my hips, whatever it is you need to work on, my arms, you see it and you recognize it and you confront it and then you get beyond it. But I think we have to recognize those problems. And I think we also have to say one little morsel at a time, I'm going to solve the problem as best I can. But recognize that, you know, I'm never going to have uh, that kind of shape that my rib cage is narrows to the waist and then my hips go out. It's just not my shape. I'm more a little more um, rectangular in that. But I'm okay with it now for the most part <laughs> still I kind of oh no I love it can I can I tell you the thing I was most uncomfortable with when I took pole because I took a couple pole classes yeah. I just didn't like being almost you know like naked in class like yeah I, that's part of the reason why silks I I wear clothing like from my toes to like here. Oh oh interesting. <laughs> I wear socks uh-huh. and full leggings and tucked in and I've, I don't know. Yeah. It just made me feel like, I know that part is, I can't imagine people not having a strong opinion yeah. about that. If you know, like you yeah. either love it or you hate it. Well, interesting. I started, you know, I make all my own costumes and okay. I used to work in the garment business and in design. And so I started a pole line. And the first thing that I made was this um, high waist booty short with side ties and I was thinking because not everybody wants to run around the pole studio with their tummy hanging out but it was made so that if you needed to do something or you needed more tummy on the pole you just fold the yoga top down well it's Ah. still my most popular short of of anything and after I made them then the tinier girls wanted them because it actually looked very pinuppy you know when you pulled up the side ties and you made the high waist and then you add a halter top and so I thought okay this is interesting but I felt the same way like and I think to this day that's still true that the women buy it in part because they want to uh, be able to not feel that they're completely naked in the class yeah yeah. What's up, Bean? <laughs> Hi, Bean. She's being so good. She's just laying, you know, uh, watching her cartoons. Um, I did not know you had a pole line. I, I didn't do. know you had a. Yeah. Oh, my God. What is, what's, yeah, it's, what's it called? It's marycaroldesigns.com. Do you feel like, is it just like a side business or is it most of your time oh, now? Oh, no. It's a, it's a side business. My biggest part problem is that I'm not real technical and I'm having to go to more online type things. So I'm in the process of having people help me with getting that marketing edge going. Um, late January, I had a photo shoot and we reshot some of the things. And so I, I'm in the process now of 
grading those pictures so that it, the whole site looks better. Well, I mean, I resonate with that because I'm I'm younger than you, but I had to, I have my own business now and I had to learn all that software uh, and yeah. it's so intimidating until you know it. Yeah, It's so intimidating. It takes double, triple the time to do the work because you're learning as you go. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have put, picked this top to wear. It's one of these, it says bravery, not obedience. So it's got, oh, it was kind of with that, all that lockdown stuff. It was uh, uh, bravery, not obedience. So, you know, I'm a bit of a rebel in a lot of ways. I never realized how much I was and because I'm kind of a soft person in a way, like, you know, I'm not, like really loud and in your face and all that. But when I was young, my grandmother taught me to sew and, you know, she would tell me what to do. And then I would do the opposite. And she would say, you don't listen, do you, Mary Carol? And that's kind of been key for me the rest of my life is like, yeah, I don't really listen. I just kind of, you know, do things like what I want to do quietly. Did you ever see yourself as being like this massive pole artist and then um, never. entrepreneur? I'm telling you, I never could have predicted it in a million years. Um, no, no. But I, you know how, what I think it is? Honestly, I think that people open up their minds to new experiences and get rid of the I can't do it um, kind of thought and start saying, well, you know, that looks interesting. Let me just get my foot in the icy cold water a little bit and see how that feels. And then, you know, a little bit, a little bit, but you have to want to do something and you have to believe that you can do it or that you can achieve some part of it. Obviously we're all different and we're going to have different levels of, um, you know, ability. And some people are really strong. Some people are really flexible. Some have good dance backgrounds. So they hear music. It's like, you know, for me, I pretty much had to learn all of that. Although, you know, when I was a kid, there was a dance, I grew up in North Dakota and there was a dance teacher in town and, and she taught baton and, and I went and my sister went, but they, they, my mother and the teacher thought, oh, she has no rhythm. So, you know, we're just going to let her tumble around at the dance recital on, you know, do something like that. And they focused on Nancy for the baton and she went on, she won a lot. Well, I played piano. You don't have no rhythm if you play piano, but I never connected the dots till I did pole. When I started to do pole and they would instruct me, first I would do everything backwards. So I think what happened was I was actually dyslexic. And what they thought was no rhythm was actually being dyslexic. But it wasn't diagnosed at that time. Nobody talked about being dyslexic at that time. Ten, my brother's 10 years younger. And by the time he rolled around, he was diagnosed dyslexic, but oh, not in I my see. era. No. So that's what I think it was, is that, you know, I had rhythm, but I would do it all backwards. And then they didn't recognize that I had dyslexia. So they just thought, well, she has no rhythm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is so interesting. Yeah. So, you know, but yeah, it is interesting. It's like, yeah, if you can take away the tidbits of information there and apply it to just about anything and understand that, you know, somebody doesn't get something the first round doesn't mean to give it up. That means that maybe you need to like take a different adjustment or, you know, yeah. kind of uh, come back again and take it slower. I'm, I'm a big proponent of 
of safety using crash mats and also of taking things slowly, conditioning for them so that you have the strength, the flexibility. Whenever I, I don't often teach, but when I do teach flexibility, I'm a big, big proponent of doing everything very slow. Example, if you're in a straddle and you want to press your back to the floor from one leg to the other, to the other, to the other, you need to move every movement very slowly through that transition to the other leg because maybe it feels good over here on the left and then you're moving and if you move fast, you're going to like, oh, that didn't feel so good. But now you've, you know, maybe injured something a little bit so now you go back to another square one to start so all that very slow I'm also do not like uh, any stretch with a partner where the person being stretched is not fully in control of how much they're being stretched Mm. example would be if you sit um, with your heels together in front of you knees apart Um, you can have somebody hold your heels as you press down on your knees Ah, yeah, I see. because you need to be in control of the stretch. You can have somebody hold a leg down while you reach to the other side, but, you know, to help with the stretch, but not to stretch you. So you're talking about the other person helping stabilize, stabilize. but then you do the mobilization. Yeah, yeah then you do the mobilization yourself. Yeah, but the person who's stretching should always be in control of how much they're stretching, not somebody else pushing on you. Mm-hmm. There's too many ways. To, Mary, do you? Hmm? Yeah, there's too many ways to get injured. Exactly. Do you teach, Mary? Um, I have taught. I actually was up in North Dakota earlier this month, and I went for three reasons. See my brother and sister-in-law. We were the basketball champions. I was a cheerleader that year, and so they you know, acknowledge us at halftime, and my friends I got to see, and then I taught a pole class. And they were all beginner beginners. Um, so, you know, it was fun and, you know, taught them some pole um, tidbits. But, oh, I love it. Yeah, I know. I, I would be open to uh, teaching. I think that what happened is that there were so many others who probably wanted to do it more than I did. So I ended up not doing much of it. I would do some, usually like I did one in Brazil, um, you know, Minneapolis, Tucson, I taught um, Florida, you know, different places and a little bit here, but not a regular class. Okay. Okay. So I would love for you to tell us when you started the hip dysplasia, when you started really noticing and what's, yeah, I think important to my, to my listeners is to really do that, you know, be specific about the journey because if they're injured themselves, Mm -hmm. like how long does it take? What, what did you do? What was your daily activities? How did you modify? And then, and then into the hip replacement, because it's been how long since you've had your hip replaced? A little over two years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just and if you'd share and your the story. good news is that my very young surgeon, who is not even forty yet, <laughs> so you know, if you ever need one, he's going to be around a long time. Uh, but anyway, he his name is Doctor Heckman at USC. I love him. He did a great job. But when I showed him the picture of the spatchcock, and he says, "Well, I think you could do that afterwards," I go, "Yes, he's my man." You know. So what's a spatchcock? <laughs> spatchcock. I don't know that. Like a, well, that's where. Um, it's hard to describe it. It's like a really flexible move that. Oh, it's like a bendy position. Yeah, okay. And most people can't do it no matter, you know, they just, you, 
I don't know. It's hard for them. I've taught it before and I don't think that I will um, teach it again, unless it's a very specific student, because it's hard to learn. You can't, not everybody can do it, but anyway, it's some, some of your audience will know what that is. Yeah. It's on my uh, Instagram profile. I'm in a spatchcock. Yeah. I always see that damn pose, the rainbow Marchenko. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't do that pose, but it's okay. But when I say it, people know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't do that one either. Um, but back to, okay, I think the advice for your audience is that they really need to be aware of their body. If it's a structural thing, then they need to know about that. Structural would be the bones, you know, the soft tissue injuries, that kind of stuff. You can usually get them better. If they become scarred, it takes longer and may not be as good. So you want to be aware of that. You want to be aware of everything I told you previously about, you know, stretching slowly, trying to avoid creating scar tissue by having an injury. Um, conditioning is very important, you know, to prevent injuries and taking things little more so, maybe doing a setup as opposed to the whole move one day. I oftentimes do that myself because I go, oh yeah, I see now I need to do a little more conditioning in order to get my leg behind my head in the you know, a split on the pole example. But um, I I feel that, you know, body awareness and being good to yourself, taking time to rest, you know, train so that you do hardcore aerial or pole, then maybe you work on a little choreo and some stretch, maybe a little conditioning, um, and then go hardcore again, but, you know, kind of balance it out a little bit is helpful to the longevity of a dancer. So that helps. But I noticed it was one day, March 2017, and I had a crash mat below me. So, you know, I was being safe, but I was practicing a pole tumble. And there was one of the points where I was supposed to um, drop my hips a little bit and I fully released them and I could feel something go from my left shoulder to my right leg. And it was from that point that things were never the same again. So I feel looking back that somehow that hip had been popped into a position where it started to eat away at the cartilage. And I kept thinking, oh, I really want somebody to, you know, yank at my leg. It was like, I couldn't explain it. I don't really use chiropractors. So I I wasn't, didn't know anybody to go to. And I'm a little afraid, you know, to go to somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. And I didn't have anybody in my back pocket that I, I knew I I could go to. So I didn't. But I often think about that. Maybe had I gone to a good chiropractor or physiotherapist, they might have been able to help at that point. But who would know? You know, it's hard to know. Um, But that injury did not ever get better much. It was always a problem after that. And so what did it feel like? Uh, What did walking feel like? No, walking was pretty good uh, at that point. Later on, it was difficult. I remember in um, December of 2018, I had a, you know, I make salted caramels and other assorted chocolates at home. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, my dancer friends for the last few years would say, oh, please make them again. We'll come and help you. So it, we've done that every year. And we have so much fun. It's the conversation that's fun. And, you know, I pre-make the candies. And then what they're helping me with is just to cover them and to package them. 
So, but we, it's a conversation that's so fun. So anyway, I found that that particular winter I was planning, I was having a candy party. I would make the candies and I would literally have to just go to bed afterwards because standing still in one spot killed me more than running around. Yeah. And laying down, did you have resting pain? Um, no, I, not as much. Pain when you were laying resting down? could uh, alleviate the pain. So I've heard people say that they're like in constant pain. I could, by resting, you know, get rid of it um, pretty much. I don't really remember, like if I was just resting. But of course, when you sleep, then you, uh, for me, I, I, I probably do a million moves a night because I just sleep every, oh, <laughs> just toss and turn. <laughs> yeah. But um, when, once I was, you know, lying down, the, that would help. Um, but that was the most painful. And it got to the end of it where, you know, by the next year, um, by the next year, I could not stand very long at all. I had to make the candy sitting down. And oh, that was okay. very, very painful. Everything was difficult as far as standing. Um, you know, getting in and out of the car was painful. A lot of pain. And I'd been kind of escalating for a while. But once I found out in August of 2019, of course, my husband and I were, oh, no, you don't want to have surgery. That's terrible. And, you know, we looked into stem cells and I went to this uh, one guy who should have known better. He should have said, you know, it might help with pain, but it's not going to cure it. But he was misleading. So I think that you need to be aware if you're going to do that, that there's a, they're very expensive. I had one in, injection. Um, you know, immediately it felt better, but then he told me not to move for two weeks or to exercise it. And afterwards, that was when it went totally downhill. So I don't know if it was so stem cells or or PRP or stem cells or whatever. I couldn't have the, oh, I had the PRP, I, I think, because I, the, um, stem cells, I think, are preserved in sulfur and I'm allergic to that. So, they just did oh, the okay. PRP, but all that stuff. So I'd be very leery about the promises of what they can do. And, you know, they cannot create new cartilage. And they will tell you this and that because they want you to keep coming back. And that was the case here. So I was very disappointed. Right. It's basically it's basically creating circulation blood flow to the area, but that's not going to do anything for cartilage. Right. And I'm not saying that PRP and stem cells can't be helpful in some instances instances for other types of problems but for this one they're not and the doctor who gave it to me should have known better he should have known that what he was injecting could not cure me could not heal me but you know I found that to be dishonest and so did you have when this first happened Mm -hmm. what was your range of motion and then as it progressed did that range of motion progress down as well like did it just um, it was progressively, it would be harder to move things. And by the summer 2019, basically from December of 2018, when I was doing the candies, the things were just difficult. And I was training to do a competition, which I did in Italy, but I did not do a good job. And I kind of, you know, kept thinking I shouldn't do this. And it was, you know, my injury, but oh, this gal that I just love were friends wanted to room with me I thought okay I can do this and I shouldn't have done it um I had problems doing things that should have been so easy for me 
So, you know, but yet nobody had diagnosed it. And I'd been to multiple people. So it was, you know, very frustrating, quite frankly, for me to to do this. And and I went through that year. I performed at Polcon in Denver. And um, I did okay, but, you know, not what I could have done. But I didn't even know what it was. I didn't find out until I I came back and I was went to, um, you know, somebody to help me privately with contortion and you know that gal's excellent but you know she didn't know what it was either nobody knew until my internist took an x-ray and caught it in august and that's when like oh my god i tried everything to fix it so i hope that people don't have the same experience that i did of not being able to be diagnosed and i do think that if you have any suspicion that you have any kind of a joint issue that you should go and check it out and insist that they give you an x-ray because an x-ray should pick it up Mm -hmm. yeah early on it didn't i guess but um later it should have so if you could tell us okay so you find out you get the x-ray what's next tell us about the actual surgery and then yeah um, recovery from it yeah once I knew then I you know tried the stem cell that didn't work or the PRP I think it was PRP I had Uh, and then I started to interview doctors I looked into one in South Carolina who did hip resurfacing which sounds so wonderful because you know they tell you it preserves more of your bone and it's this and it's that but there's problems with that also in that um, for somebody like me, I probably would have been a year of healing without being able to do much of anything. And that was too long, in my opinion, for me to heal. And then plus there's risk that, uh, you know, I wouldn't, um, I'd have to ultimately have a hip replacement. And if you're looking at the hip resurfacing, they do recommend it more for younger men because men have bigger bones and athletic men so you know balance that I then checked out three orthopedic surgeons one at UCLA one at um, St. Vincent's Hospital and one at USC and the one at UCLA seemed to indicate that when I was ready to just be comfortable and walk that you know, do the surgery. And I, no, I, I did not want a peg leg. So um, the other two I liked, I actually liked them all as far as their manner and everything. I just wanted more from not just to be able to walk. And so the other two were going to put in what's called a dual mobility. And that sounded good. And so they showed me what it is. And that's where, you know, there's a little ball inside of the cup that goes into your hip um, where they take the old, you know, damaged materials out and put this in. And then there is a stem that goes down into your femur. So it's worth looking at knowing about. You can find drawings. You don't have to look at a graphic uh, drawing. And the dual mobility allows for more rotation. So I have quite a bit of rotation. You know, it's never the same as your natural hip, but it's pretty darn good. It's pretty darn good. So I feel very, very fortunate. I think that we're lucky we have this kind of surgery available to us should we need it. Um, If it's imminent, I would say, you know, plan a time and go for it. Um, because it's not going to get better. There's nothing you can do to make that better. 
There's not much you can do to make it worse either, but you can't make it better. It's not like, you know, a, um, a tendon injury or muscle injury or soft tissue. You can make them better. And this you can't. This is so informative. And my mom actually has a little bit of a hairline fracture in yeah. the top of her. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, the doctor said, well, you can just have painkillers until you have hip surgery. And she absolutely doesn't want the hip surgery. But maybe if she listens to this. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, I had a friend who had a hip fracture like you're describing and he went ahead and had it. Um, it's not going to get better. That's the problem is that there's nothing that she can do to make it better. And, you know, they will tell you, oh, you can take cortisone shots. But that I never did that. And one of the doctors had said, don't do any more uh, PRP or stem cell, because the more injections you put into there, the more chance of infection that you can create. So in the cortisone shots, there's, um, you know, they they might be a temporary pain relief. Uh, They'd actually told me that if I wanted them, I could get them. I declined it because they were potentially going to make it, you know, in the long run worse. I have not heard great things about cortisone shots in the long run. You know, if you really want to heal, if you want a temporary pain relief, then they're probably good. But I, I wanted to heal. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's not fun to think about doing it, but we're lucky to have this surgery. So you got the surgery. And what was, what was it like the first month, three months, six months, nine months? Very important information for your audience. I got the hip replacement and I, my doctor said to me, he said, I've done my part. Now it's up to you and to do your work. So I understand what he meant. I knew it from the moment he said that. Now he told me that because of, you know, what I do, uh, he, and that I'm very flexible. He really did not want me to do any PT, anything but walk for 12 weeks because he wanted it to fully or to heal really well. And of course, the longer that you go without popping it out, because there is that possibility, the more it's embedded. Well, today he says, I no longer worry about you popping it out. You know, you're you're just good to go. Um, he also says today that, I think I might've said this earlier because I'm, I'm going to fill in the middle here, but today, two a little over two years later, he says that your spine and your pelvis have greatly improved. And irrespective of having a hip replacement, he has never, ever seen that happen before. Because the normal aging process is for every year of life to get a little worse, a little worse, a little worse. But the fact that I have improved it and markedly improved it tells us that we as dancers aerialists pole dancers can make a difference that we are doing things that are good for our body but we uh, in my opinion we have to be aware of you know training it slowly taking it one little baby step at a time as opposed to you know doing so quickly that you over injure so so you know, we want to make some video and doctor is going to do an interview and, um, you know, put some exercises on a video soon. And that's on my to-do list. But 
in the after I was allowed to, you know, go back to pole was when the lockdowns came. So I couldn't do it. And so I just stretched at home. And then six months later, when he checked me, he says, well, that probably worked in your favor to take a little more time to heal as before you got back on the pole. Well, after that six months, then my husband and I put together a pole room that you'll see tomorrow. We put together a pole room and I was able to do some pole. But my experience was like, oh, my God, when I started to get back to exercising, whose back is this? It was like, whoa stiff as a board and I would tell them that they said oh that's good we want you to be stiff because they wanted everything to heal but I had to take that and just work it now I can do back bend I can do and I could do it at seven months I had to work everything back to the best that I could in the healing process and I also noticed that when I would get on the pole and do things that I would like well my neck is sore it's stiff it's like whoa so I found out that what was happening was some of the muscles, like the longissimus muscle, which I never heard of that muscle before, and other things, you know, are connected and that they were pulling from below to my neck and that I needed to get them all readjusted to the new device. Because one thing you have to remember is that your body acclimates to any injury that you have or any change. Um, you know, day by day, week by week, year by year. So mine was acclimating to this um, injured hip and they were adjusting the muscles and the soft tissue to that. So I had to bring it out of into a new reality where they had to readjust to the new hip. Well, that doesn't happen overnight. Maybe if you just walk, you, you won't notice it as much, but you know what we do aerialist pole dancers we do more with our body and we expect more so we have to remember that if that was where it was then we got to pull it back up to where we want it to be but it's not going to happen overnight so I worked on all the muscles that went from my neck side to side you know across my body down to my toes and would work on them, we, you know, with different stretches, massage balls are my best friend. Um, I love a little feet up trainer, you know, everything that I could do, small weights, not large weights on my ankles to, you know, work on straddles and stuff. Everything little by little, but consistent. I really feel that everybody should do a little stretch every day and even if it's just what I call your maintenance stretch, where you're just doing the stretches that are comfortable, and then maybe the next day you'll do stretches that are to advance your flexibility. But yeah, maintaining it's very important. I feel like you should be a teacher. <laughs> like, I feel like you should be a teacher right now for a lot of people. Oh, thank That's you. What I think. Well, maybe I will. I, I've been thinking about it, you know. Um, to, to do that, to, you know, help with those things, um, with the injury and the, you know, preventing injury type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Yeah, it is important. Yeah. I kind of come from the same place because I have a, you know, I'm a body worker and I'm a personal trainer. I'm a Pilates person. Uh-huh. But a lot of the tricks that we're doing up in the air, they are 
you can easily injure yourself. Yes. Because the 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 whole point is not to do something safely in an alignment. It's to do a pretty shape. Yeah. Or to contort or to mm-hmm. twist or to torque or to shock the audience with a huge drop. It's not protecting your actual body is not usually the highest priority when we're in the air. And um, which is why this podcast very, very regularly talks about pain management and injuries because it's it's like in the same sentence yes. as pull and aerial. Yes, they really are. <laughs> they really are. Yeah. Um, I have little tricks that I do with, you know, my feet, my toes, uh, you know, all the way up uh, because they're very important to, you know, keep them nice and supple and, and, you know, not ignore them. One thing, you know, when we, especially in the winter time, when we put on boots and that type of shoes, we literally put our feet in a cast. So when you put your foot in a cast, it's not going to be moving very much. Well, if you don't get those toes and ankles out of those casts and wiggle them around and get your fingers into the middle of them and twirl them and open them up, they're going to be stiff. So if you have stiff toes, how can anything else, because that's our base, how can anything else be flexible on top of it? So I always, I'm a very big person about feet and toes and getting those to be nice and and supple, flexible. And it's easy to do. You can sit and watch TV in the end of the night, have a glass of wine and put your hand between your toes and wiggle them around and have a conversation at the same time. (laughs) And it feels good too. It usually feels really, really good. I love it. Um, uh, Last last week, uh, Sensei Mike Tan, he's my healer and teacher. He talks about the foundation of all the stuff coming from the feet and the hands. Like if you have pain all the way up the chain, mm-hmm. you know, the feet and the hands, a lot of times it's the source yeah. or uh, of, of that. So that's, you're confirming that yeah. in your own practice yeah. and your And I do the experience. same thing with my hands. And I told you at one point I have on my right thumb, it's bone on bone, but I'm able to work with it. I'm really able to do a lot. I would like to try try an aerial class, although I think that there might be a little more grip than might be easy for me, but I would try it. You know, like I say, like that's kind of my my uh, message is to, to try things, see how what you can do. Well, and I know Mary because she comes to aerial class once in a while over the years. Like I, I would see her, I don't know when I first met you, as many years ago, you came to my silks class and then Years later, you came again, and I just love seeing you. I think you're an inspiration. I was going to say the thing that I liked about you in particular, or that I remember about you in particular, was how you would ask everybody, how's your body today? I never forgot that. I love that. Aww. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so conscious of giving modifications to people if they say, have the, you know, I need to know if they have a shoulder issue and they're in silks, because we use our shoulders... I'm babysitting a shoulder thing right now that I hope will go away in a week. But if it doesn't, it might become something bigger. So if, if my teacher, if I go to a class and my teacher has me do all this crazy stuff and I don't say anything. Yeah. No, it'll just get worse. That's right. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I always say the body, you know, always wins good or bad. And the good thing is that the body will win if you allow it the tools to do the things at the pace it wants to do them at. 
you can't really rush this. And it will also win if it tells you that, you know, you went too far, my shoulder is injured and you injured me and now I'm going to make you rest. (laughs) I just think you're an absolute inspiration. And for those people who don't know you yet and don't maybe live in the country and, you know, this is a worldwide audience what advice do you have for women out there who either are excited to start something like what you do and haven't done it yet, or they're in that stage where they've started, but it just seems so hard and they don't know, like they don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. What's your advice to those, well, uh, to those <laughs> ladies my, and gentlemen? One of my grandmothers used to say, never say never. I think that that's very powerful. I think that, you know, having, um, a healthy concern for your safety is good, but fear is not. You know, if you're concerned for your safety, you go, okay, I want to make sure there's a crash mat below me. I want to make sure that I, you know, train these muscles so that they can stretch and come back and be fluid. You take those concerns and you put them to work. Fear will not allow you to proceed to do anything it will paralyze you so call it concerns address them take care of them and move forward I love that I love that um I think just by being yourself you're an inspiration so I'm so happy to know you and I'll make sure to link uh your website your poll line of clothing, um, and everything on the show notes, but this is great. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Mary, for joining us, lending us your wisdom and, uh, inspiring all of us. I loved having that talk with you. It was so fun. So listeners, thanks for being here again. There is a link in the show notes to sign up to hear more about the new three-part video series, Aerial Rehab. And uh, yeah, if you guys would honor me with a five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts, it really helps us build this community. And I thank you for being here. I appreciate you and happy training this week. This is the Expected Aerialist. Bye.